We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 10. Last Sunday, we talked about the principles for married life, and today we're going to speak about mixed marriages. In a sense, one believer who believes in the Lord and one doesn't. Paul addresses that. Uh, when divorce is allowable, and these questions, at least privately, uh, many have asked, especially pastors. Uh, but we'll see that this is a series of relationships. Uh, so we're going to see, as we go through chapters 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul expresses to us um, how we're to behave and what's proper in relationships. Uh, and then next Sunday, we'll give a shout out to the singles, because I know some of the singles have asked me, what about us? So today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to jump into verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And the woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the believer or the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? As we saw last Sunday, um, there was a letter that went to the Apostle Paul from the Corinthian Christians, at least the leadership, and a lot of the questions that these believers had were sent to this Apostle uh, for him to answer them. And the Apostle Paul, I said this last Sunday, he would, wherever the Lord Jesus spoke, wherever God's word was there, we know that they always are in um, cohesion. He would reiterate that. If there was something that, he, that wasn't specifically expressed by the Lord, he would extrapolate. He would get the unknown from a section of knowns, and with prayer in the Holy Spirit, he would give them the answer. So a lot of these answers that Paul gives were questions that were directed to him. Paul reiterates Christ's strong stance on staying married, which reinforces the Father in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm going to read, let's turn to Matthew 9, or 19, excuse me, verses 3 through 9. Matthew 19. This is a question where the religious leaders were questioning Jesus as usual, wanted to see where he fit in. Uh, they try to put these riddles or questions to him and see how he would answer them. Of course, he would always answer as the oracles of God. Just to give you a little background, there were two schools, rabbinical schools at the time, Rabbi Hillel, and you might have even seen some uh, synagogues today, the Hillel Foundation, okay, and Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hillel was very liberal. He took God's word, and I think he played fast and loose with it. On divorce, he actually said, if a wife burns your dinner, you have grounds to divorce her. Now, that's nowhere in Scripture. So I'm sure back then these, these girls were taught really how to cook a good meal. And Rabbi Shammai was more conservative. He took the approach that, you know, it's, you don't just divorce. It's something that God looks at as serious. So it's very possible they were looking to see which camp Jesus fit in. But the camp Jesus fit in was God's word. And everybody else will have to follow suit with that. So Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees, 
also came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? This is in Genesis. And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Good godly answer as usual. Verse 7, so they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? See, this was a trick. They were always trying to trick him. You know, um, most of us might have done an okay job and eventually they would have zapped us. But Jesus spoke the oracles of God, so he always had the right answer. Now Moses was revered at that time higher than everyone. He was the greatest prophet, and of course they didn't accept Jesus' authority, so they were going to interject Moses into the mix. Watch Jesus' answer. He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus answered that, listen, the reason why, and there was a practice back then, very sad. The men were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the home. They were supposed to do the right thing. They were supposed to sacrifice for their family and teach their families. But some of these men would... Uh, put their wives out, pretty much out on the street. And everybody knew in the village that that was Bob's wife. So she couldn't enter into another relationship and she really had nowhere to go. So it was a very sad situation. Because of man's sin in the law, okay, in uh, Deuteronomy 24, the law said if you're going to do that as a man, you need to write a certificate of divorce and actually put it in her hand. Give the poor girl some freedom so she can have closure and move on with her life. I'm going to read another scripture. I'm going to jump back into the Old Testament. Malachi 2. Malachi 2. Just before Matthew. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 2, starting with verse 13. And Pastor Anthony covered this uh, in Wednesday night study. And this is the second thing you do. God says, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears. Actually, God speaking through Malachi, Malachi speaking through the people, with weeping and crying. So he, meaning God, does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. God didn't even want to hear their, their prayers at times. Jeremiah, he told, don't take up a lamentation for them. I'm, I'm not even going to listen. They're so far gone. And the other thing that God uh, was upset about was the way they treated their wives. And he said, I'm not even going to accept your peace offerings, your, your goodwill offerings to me when you can't even treat your family with dignity and respect and love. See, God doesn't like hypocrisy. He says, yet you say in verse 14, for what reason? The people were shocked. Lord, why won't you accept our sacrifices? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. 
for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And you see this repeated. And I've always said, when you see something in God's word constantly repeated, it's something we should be paying attention to. So, the Apostle Paul is answering some questions about divorce. And he says, and we just read this, even if the spouse leaves, even if there's a cooling off period, a time of separation to think, to pray, he said, let them come together. Let them be reconciled. God is very serious about marriage. Now, let's bring this up to modern day, right? The application phase of what we learn. How do we, as God's people living in New Jersey in the year 2009, apply this? In New Jersey, it's hard to fight a divorce. I've seen brothers and sisters who went through this. If one party wants out, you can fight it, but you'll eventually run out of money and you'll be divorced. Shake, people shaking their heads, right? If you find yourself rightly or wrongly on the opposite side of a restraining order, guess what? You can't have contact with your spouse, right? I say rightly or wrongly. For those who are abusive, restraining orders were designed in New Jersey to help the uh, victim not to be abused anymore and to get some shelter and safety. However, now, because man is a manipulator, I've seen it. They come, the women, the guys, it's almost like they're, they're coached to get these TROs, to get somebody out of their household. So if you're on the wrong side of a restraining order, no contact. You can't phone call, you can't send a birthday card, you can't send a message to a third party. If you do, you, it's a no bail warrant, you get locked up and sent to the county until the next court date that the judge can hear your, um, your, your plea. So this is what we're looking at in New Jersey. I would say for conscience sake, let the other person make the first move. If you're in a troubled marriage, keep praying for that marriage. Try to make it work. This is what the Bible says. But if the other party is just not willing to hear it, let the blood be on their hands. Let them make the first move. Let them kick you out of the house. Let them uh, file for divorce. Now, I shouldn't need to say this, but I do. Um, there shouldn't be a relationship where anyone, husband or wife, are putting their hands on each other. You know, that's a real problem. You need to seek some type of help there. Uh, because we sh it shouldn't get to that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I would say this too. This is going to cause some pain, this scripture. Right? God doesn't ask us to do easy things. A lot of times he asks us to do difficult things that deepen and strengthen our character. The Bible is clear about that. If you've had an un unbiblical divorce, this isn't to condemn you. The Bible says, now there is no condemnation in Christ. If you've had an unbiblical divorce, repent about it. And don't carry the guilt around with you. God doesn't want us to walk around, walk the face of the earth until we die with guilt, like a backpack on us. You know, repent and move on. If you're looking for a divorce, you better pray about it, especially hearing this today. Now, what I notice here too is, again, this reciprocity. The Apostle Paul grew up in the old school, the old boys club with the rabbis, right? But through God's spirit and God's word, he says, what's good for the man is good for the woman. What's good for the woman is good for the man. It, wasn't, it was something new. Jesus came to break down the, those uh, gender barriers and have women to be as equal as men. And you see that in the scripture. Verses 12 through 14. So we just covered an overview of divorce. Now let's cover marriage and divorce where one person is a believer and the other person that they're married to is an unbeliever. 
What he says is this, this, this office of apostle was a very special office that had privileges and authority associated with it. So Paul's words are sacred scripture. And he says to them, basically, if your unsaved spouse is not looking to leave you or have you deny your faith, remain married to them. It's very possible that the question came up to Paul in the letter. Okay, you know, we're kind of new at this Christianity things in Corinth here. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of couples that both were pagans and one of them came to Christ and is really on fire for the Lord and the other one's not interested. So what do we do, Paul? Should they divorce them and then look to remarry another believer? I guess a logical question if they, don't, if they haven't been Christians that long. And Paul says, no, if they love you, and they're looking to live with you, then remain married to them. In a sense, your unsaved spouse may be your mission field. Again, God does not, folks, call us to do things that are easy. Oh boy, that's a hard one. I have to live with them. I have to, they have to see my faults, and at the same time, I'm supposed to be a light. The answer is yes. Your spouse may be a mission field. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures. If you were here last Sunday, the, the husbands had some hard scriptures that I had to read to the husbands. Now, ladies, it's your turn. <laughs> First Peter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. First Peter 3. The, or, uh, the disciple Peter says this, Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. That didn't mean be submissive to every man in your life. It means to your own husband. And that even if some do not obey the word, meaning those who uh, are unsaved or they are maybe backslidden Christians or whatever the case may be, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observed your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now understand the translation today is not that the wife is supposed to be terrified of her husband. There's a respect aspect to this. And this is why we do um, inductive Bible study. We pull the meaning, I go into the Greek. So it's not a, a, a terrible fear, but it's more of a respect issue. He says, do not let your beauty be that of outward adorning, of arranging of the hair, of wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. But let it be with the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Again, people will read this. The Amish look at this and say, okay, women are never supposed to fix their hair. They're supposed to wear them little caps and, you know, even, I think they're not supposed to wear buttons on their dresses, not, no makeup. They go way off the deep end here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying is that you're not supposed to win your husbands with your appearance, Although we should all look good for each other's spouses, he's saying it's with that hidden ornament, that gentle and quiet spirit, the inward person, how Christ changes you. That's how you win your husband over. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror." You know, they called their husbands Lord. I looked at this scripture, I read it to my wife and said, hey babe, you gotta start calling me Lord. It didn't work. <laughs> Lord little L, meaning master or, you know, leader of the home. Okay, so let's move on from there. Um, I'm gonna give you, actually this week I was having lunch with a pastor and he told me a, a joke. And um, if you find that you don't like it after service, I'd be more than happy to throw him under the bus for you. So this is how it goes. You got a, a, a guy and a girl, they get married, right? And she comes to the Lord and he doesn't. 
he's still in his old, you know, ungodly ways. So she goes to bed at night and he leaves the house and he goes drinking with his buddies. So they're all at the bar, they're all together, they're drinking, drinking, getting drunk. And two, three o'clock in the morning, the bar closes, right? So he says to his friends, hey, let's come over to my house. I'll wake up the old lady and she'll make us some breakfast. So they're like, what are you, crazy? She'd kill you. So they, he, they listen to him. They all hop in the car. They drive back to the house. And they're sitting in the kitchen. He goes in the bedroom, shakes his wife, and says, baby, come on, get up. Make us some breakfast. So she gets up. She puts a bun in her hair. She puts her robe on, puts on a smile, and walks into the kitchen. She's frying the eggs and the bacon and singing a song. And she's serving the, 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 the friends. And they're just, they just stare at her like this with their jaws hitting the table and they say to her we thought that you would kill him and she goes gentlemen my husband is going to hell (laughs) and I'm trying to make his life as comfortable as possible before he gets there (laughs) listen I appreciate how tough it can be I've had people come to me on the side and speak about their unsaved spouses and they've been praying for them for years but you need to have hope you need to hold on you need to keep praying it's not an easy job i've said it before but i've also been encouraged when spouses have come to me after years of praying and said this is a good year for my spouse and i we're really making some inroads and they're really starting to connect with their unsaved spouses so hang in there because you know what Um, Be that light in the house, and you never know what could happen. And in verse 14, he speaks about the uh, children. Okay, he speaks about the kids, and he says that they would be unclean if you, you know, got divorced, but now they're holy. And also, your unbelieving spouse is sanctified. Now, that's interesting, because sanctified is to to say that they're made holy, they're set apart. Um, What does this say, and what does this not say? sanctification issue it really comes back to the whole one flesh concept that um, I hope by the end of these chapters we'll really understand what it means to be one flesh not only to be one flesh with our spouses but also to be of the same mind of Christ and to be one with Christ I've spoken about that uh, that triad the husband and the wife are one flesh and individually they're both one with the Lord and it's that perfect triad to me it's a picture of the Trinity you know God expresses himself as father son holy spirit and through marriage in a ideal marriage uh he you see that model there right and you see this his signature all over the universe time space matter we're comprised of body spirit soul you see what i'm saying those threes those numbers that that he's um or like divine uh, attribute to those numbers but sanctification number one since the spouse the spouses are one flesh the unsaved spouse reaps the benefit of prayer in the home of god's word in the home god's favor in the home right and two a spiritual influence that may possibly lead the unsaved to salvation and this is how much god honors this whole one flesh concept that even if one comes to christ and the other one's a you know downright pagan he still says stay in that marriage right that covenant of marriage is very important you know, work on that family, right? Be there, be a, be a light in that home. Now to the children. He says they're not unclean, and the Greek word is akathartos, where we get kathartos or catharsis. 
In the English, it's a direct translation, except it's a different spelling from the Greek to the English, catharsis, a cleansing. But they are holy. So they're not unclean, but they are holy. More of a, with the kids, it's a spiritual spillover effect in a sense. He says, if you just, every time one spouse comes to the Lord and the other one lags behind, number one, if you don't give them any time and you break up the marriage, this would be happening all over the place. And the second point is that, um, you know, you, you, just because that person hasn't come to the Lord and you have and you break up that marriage, where does it leave the children? The, are they looked at as illegitimate, like the marriage is annulled in a sense? So these are important things to look at. But two, but now they are holy. Your marriage is legitimate. Again, one parent is a light in that home. And that's tough. It's really tough. Because we are sinners, right? We were born into sin. And it's only through being born again that, number one, our sins are completely paid for. And we've received that, uh, that free gift of eternal life. But that we can continue to be set apart and sanctified. And sometimes in a home where everyone else is carrying on and you're a believer, it can wear on you spiritually. So I'm not saying it's an easy job, but God must think well of you that you're strong enough to hang in there and be that light and that influence. And you give your kids a fighting chance in the world. And I've seen this with kids. One of the spouses are not saved and they see how that spouse runs their life and they see the other spouse who's, who's a good example and is not always worried and thinking about money and doing dastardly things and the kid when they grow up and become an adult they look at the difference and hopefully they say you know I'd, I'd rather follow that path that's a better path to follow and we have to look at the influence in our lives now this can be expanded I mean, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce and what it means to be an influence but even our influence in the world no matter what position that we're in we should have some type of spiritual influence the people we hang around with even if we have some friends that are unbelievers do we allow their ungodly ways to rub off on us or are we going to allow our light to shine onto them and it's always going to go in one direction or the other it's not going to be stagnated right so understand that concept of influence is important now what does this not mean this doesn't mean that um, the saved spouse, when they all die, if nobody comes to the Lord, that the, um, the adult children and the unsaved other spouse are going to ride the coattails of that, you know, hang on for the ride, grab a hold of their cloak when the Lord's calling them home, and we're going to kind of go for the ride. It doesn't mean that. Even when we talk about baby dedications, I say from the pulpit, this is a, a way to present this baby to you as a church body look at look at the parents look at the baby pray for the, these children as they grow up cover these children with prayer as they grow up in life you know it's a way to maybe even be involved in the parents lives if they're struggling while they're raising those kids not to be busy bodies but to help right especially with prayer cover and we dedicate our children to the lord but it's really their choice when they become of that age of accountability to decide to choose christ or run with the devil it's their choice and we pray incessantly for our, our kids that they make the right choice. Now, I'm going to kind of put this to bed with the whole influence thing in the sense that, let me give you an analogy. Look at the children of Israel, right? Children of Israel had the miracles. Wow. What other people in the world in history had God open up a whole sea and had them pass through? So you had the influence 
of God. You had the Red Sea open up, the miracles. You had the temple where God said, a, a part of my physical manifestation will be in that building. Every time they look to Jerusalem, they're like, yeah, God is everywhere, but man, he's really present right there. And at certain times during the dedication, God's smoke was so powerful that the priests had to leave the temple. So this is the amazing thing that the children of Israel had. But the Bible tells us in Romans 9, 6, that uh, the Apostle Paul says, all of Israel weren't Israel. Well, what does that mean? That means they all were under the banner of the children of Israel, but their hearts weren't all for God. That's important. The, I would say this, that all of Israel could have been of Israel. All the children of Israel could have been saved if they just would have followed God's precepts and loved him and, and obeyed him. But in some instances, the Korahite rebellion against Moses, right? The ground opened up in select places and swallowed all those people into the earth. And then it closed up behind them, kind of frightening. So those people, those rebellious people, were in all of Israel. Like that noise in the background? It's for effect. Uh, so the same thing with the unsaved in a home, all right? The unsaved have the influence of the godly believer, the Bible's out, the prayer covering, but not all of them jump in and put in their lot with God himself. Verse 15, he basically says that if, you're, if the unbeliever wants to depart, let them depart. In other words, if the unbelieving spouse forces the believing spouse, and, and this has happened, you have an ultimatum, honey, you could either continue with this Jesus or you can be my wife. You can't have it both ways. Well, God has called us to peace. The Bible says in that instance, let the unbeliever depart and, and let the marriage break up. Because in any situation, our kids, our relatives, our spouses, if someone gives us an ultimatum to, de to deny Christ or follow them, you know you can't deny your Lord. That's important to understand. God has called us to peace, but God has not called us to loopholes. And some, unfortunately, will read the scripture and try to find a loophole to get out of that marriage. And that's not what's going on here. Verse 16. If the situation is good, believer and unbeliever, and they accept you in your faith, then you must stay in that relationship. Okay? You know, your spouse may even get saved if you're a good reflection of Christ. Isn't that the goal? Even coming out of this situation, uh, I think the goal is for us to be a good reflection of Christ, no matter who who the unbeliever is, be a member of the family or even somebody from the outside. Now, there's only a few ways out of a marriage according to Scripture, and I purposely worded it that way because we shouldn't really be looking for a way out. The first reason is one of the spouse or the spouse commits adultery, but the person who's been victimized in a sense, the faithful partner, can choose to stay if they want. And really, it takes a special type of person to be able to stay in that relationship and forget about it um, and then move on. Because there's a trust issue and that trust has been broken. And again, it almost sounds like I'm being contradictory because now God allows us out of the one flesh concept, but I'm really not. And the reason being is because God is so serious about the one flesh concept that if you unite yourself with a harlot or somebody else who's not your spouse, okay, what happens is you destroy that one flesh concept and that triad that we've spoken about in the past. Two, second reason we see way out of a marriage is desertion by a spouse. Now in context, it's a desertion by someone who's an unbeliever, all right? But the bottom line is you can't force physically anyone to stay in any marriage. If they want out, it's, it's a matter of the will. God has chosen not to trample. He's kind of like these 
rules or laws that are set up. He's given us free will. If someone's will is that strong and they want out, you can't physically chain them down until they, you talk sense into them, right? They're going to, by their will, will leave the, the relationship. The third way out of a marriage is death of a spouse. Now, notice I didn't say murder. <laughs> we prefer natural causes here. If it's anything else, that's what I have an assistant pastor for. Don't tell me. <laughs> but what a testimony. And, and, you know, I've almost been tempted to use the, 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 the term bad marriage. I, I don't like that. Troubled marriage sounds better. And the reason is there is no bad marriage. We make it bad. We jumped into the commitment. We asked God for his blessing. And now we want out. It doesn't make it bad. It makes it troubled. There's will issues there. Okay. However, what a testimony to have a troubled marriage and then to turn it around, right? And to show the world, wow, I can't believe that. I have to say, when my wife and I um, first got together, things were, were pretty rough. We were both very hyper, you know, um, intense people. And, you know, we still are, but God has kind of softened us somewhat. But everyone around, you know, even if they'd say it behind our backs, those two will never last. Twelve years later, it's true. Twelve years later, we have a fantastic marriage. We love each other, and, and people scratch their heads. But that's an open door to say, do you know how it happened? Do you really want to know how it happened? Then don't interrupt me. Listen, and I'm going to express Jesus to them, right? Oh, well, you asked me. If you don't like the solution, then stay in your pity party. Don't come to me, right? Everybody wants something, and they, and they say, I'll do anything until you tell them something they don't want to do. Now, all of a sudden, they don't want to make the commitment. So um, what a testimony is to have a troubled marriage and to turn it around. Now the caveat here, because I have to say this, if a spouse is being physically abused, then the Bible says you can use the laws of the land. All right? Um, you know, people have been called, the police have been called because someone keeps coming to work and they're constantly bruised up. New Jersey has one of the toughest domestic violence laws in the nation, if not the world. So if you're being abused, God isn't saying to stay there and be a punching bag. Right? It's not what he's saying here. So understand that. Now a few words on marriage and divorce because I think it's that important. Number one, even if you say, <laughs> spouses can do this, oh, I've got to be at least 90 to 95% right on this one. Well, is it possible that you can work on the other 5 or 10% that you own? Amen? Who is, all, who is always only right? And I've only seen that once, and that's usually in my situation. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Number two, as I was looking at the statistics on Christian divorce, it kind of brought me into clergy divorce. And I was like, well, this is a rabbit trail. But I was kind of stunned by what I found out. Now, again, this isn't to condemn. This is just the, the fact of reality of when the love grows cold in a marriage. John Wesley's wife left him. I didn't know that. The great John Wesley. I would say that probably ministry was really tough. And you know what? Ministry is really tough on marriages because now Satan has the bullseye on you. What better marriage to take down than a marriage where others are looking at as an example? Well, guess what? You want to get into ministry? You just put the bullseye on your back and the chest and your head and all over the place. And I have to tell you, part of my prayer life is not just to pray for marriage, which I do. I also separately pray for ministry marriages because I know how much pressure it can be endured in ministry. Charles Stanley, 
in 2000 was divorced. Didn't know that either. I listened to him for years. Again, I'm not condemning him. I'm just seeing what a sad example that we're setting to the rest of the world. I think the divorce rate increase is a commentary on the lack of love in our society. And unfortunately, like everything else, it permeates the body of Christ. Christians, the children of Israel did this. They had it all. God said, be a light to the world. And they had their place in Israel, and they were surrounded by all the other countries at the time, and they did a lot of this. What does he have? What does she have? What are the Canaanites doing? Hey, they have a king. We want a king too. Hey, look at that. They're real lascivious. They seem to be having a good time. Hey, we'd like to do that too. Children of Israel did it. Unfortunately, Christians do it too. We're not immune to what happened with the children of Israel. We have the Holy Spirit, but if we will admit to ourselves, sometimes we quench and squelch the Holy Spirit by our own will. We'll do that. The Bible says that that can happen. But marriage, I, I'm not frightening the teens back there, am I? Or the um, singles, excuse me. When marriage is working together and it's teamwork, like it's set forth in Genesis, how God said that we would be helpers to each other, marriage can be beautiful, right? It can be awesome. And it's certainly a great example to look at. I'm honored to know that my wife, unless she's teaching the teen girls or she's sick, she sits in the back and she says, Joe's my pastor. That's got to be hard for her because she sees the man at home. But you know what? She helps to keep me honest. I like that. Verse 3, or the third portion. If you're thinking about divorce, don't run the council with a divorce attorney. That's like if you have a car that's perfectly running fine and you pull up to a new car dealership and you say to the salesman, hey, do you think I need a new car? Absolutely. And we have a cash for clunkers program on top of that. <laughs> Listen, there's a, there is a time and if things are just, you know, you, you have to protect yourself in some ways and you got to protect the kids and all that. Well, unfortunately, there's times to do that. But if you're thinking about it, don't run to a divorce attorney. Because you know what? Those people make a fortune off of divorces. They're going to tell you what you want to hear and, and push you along through that. Counsel with the word. Be in prayer. You know, counsel with other good Christians that are not in the vortex of the storm. They're on the outside looking at things more clearly. Do that first. Four, when things go bad. There was a book written by Emerson Egerich's called Love and Respect. And it's so cool because here's a picture of um, a guy who writes a book and he speaks about how God designed men. He wired us to be the hero of the family, to crave respect like a wife craves love, right? She's the, Ken Graves does this, she's the princess who wants to be rescued and he's the knight in shining armor. And you know, all those stories come from behaviorism. They come from somewhere, but they really come from the scripture. You know, if a wife believes that her husband, even for a moment, is pulling his love from her, she starts to be on unsure ground and it, it brings out the worst in her. If a man believes that his wife is disrespecting him and, and cutting him down, all right, as a man, then he starts to become dysfunctional. And what happens is it becomes this awful vortex of, of a fight, you know, of this terrible downward spiral. You got to break that. You know, you got to don't let that start happening. I'm going to read what I read at weddings, just real briefly, the difference between men and women, and this I found in, in the um, marriage counseling book. It's very interesting how men and women are different. Just a few. Men tend to be logical, but women intuitive. Men tend to be stern, women tender. Men to be, tend to be interested in the essence of a thing. 
women interested in the accidental features of a thing. Men tend to be literal, women figurative. Men tend to be passionate, women romantic. Men tend to be self-contained, women more social. I see some smiles. Men tend to be secretive, women more talkative. Men tend to be conceited, women jealous. So you see the good and the bad. And I would say this, that one flesh, God takes two human beings with such differences and he wants them to become one flesh and they become complete when they become one flesh. But sometimes, for those of you who are science buffs, it's like cold fusion. When you bring those atoms together and you bring them closer to closer and, and they're repelling, it releases a lot of energy when you get those atoms together. So God is the master of cold fusion, but certainly sometimes it does release energy. I'd want to say this, that I am honored to know that in this fellowship, we have a couple that's been married for 62 years. Awesome. Awesome. Those are the folks to go to, and we have many others that are married 50 years or more. I mean, these people have been married longer than I've been alive. It's impressive. But I, I read this at weddings. I, I say, do you promise to love, honor, and cherish? And sometimes I think the two are just looking at me like, we're nervous, um, I, I can't keep my knees from knocking, I'm hungry, you know, let's just get to the reception. But you got to listen to when I read this stuff, you know? In sickness and in health, in adversity and prosperity, for better or for worse. Folks, we'll go through periods of time in our marriages when there's a lot of worse. Where's the better? I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of worse here. What we're supposed to do is still stay with each other and still work it out through the worse. Okay, yeah, everybody loves it when it's the better. But every marriage goes through the worse. They're, they're cyclical. And then you hear, oh, we've fallen out of love or I married the wrong person. Forget about it. It's not true. It's not true. Verse 17, last few verses. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called to each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who's called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that calling in which he was called. Grow where you're planted. The grass is not necessarily green on the other side. When you get to the other side, oh, I thought it'd be greener than this. You know, that expression is, is there for a reason. Now, this whole thing about circumcision... Um, the Jews practiced circumcision. The Greeks looked down upon it uh, in those days. One source said, one source said they had the ability, if you were um, circumcised, to now become uncircumcised through some procedure. And some actually tried to change their status as adults. And all I can say is, ouch to that. But the Apostle Paul said, what really matters is keeping God's commandment. Jesus says, if you love me, you love God? You really love God? Jesus says, keep his commandments. The Father said in the Old Testament, you love me? You want to sacrifice? I tell you what, I prefer obedience over sacrifice. That proves to me that you love me. 
Many were focused on the outwardness of circumcision and things like that, the religious teachers, but they were the worst examples out there. Paul says to please God and keep his commandments. Don't worry about what status you're in. Now, as far as the whole issue with, about being a slave, much of the population, uh, at some estimates 50% or more, at some point in the Roman Empire were slaves. He said, not that slavery was good, he wasn't saying that, but if all the, all the slaves and, uh, had revolted and they lost, it would have been pretty ugly. Now the cool thing is about in this country, you had half a nation that was rooting for the slaves to free them. They said it was wrong. In the Roman Empire, there was nobody rooting for them. So what would have happened is they would have been, and this happened, they would have been put down harshly, they would have been littered crucifix, they would have been separated from families, and it would have been ugly. And what would have happened with the whole gospel message? It would have been lost in the bloodshed. So he's saying, but if you can be free, use it. Use it for what? Well, I'm free. I was a slave and now I'm free. Yeah, resubject yourself to Christ. You're not free to do whatever you want. You're free to follow the Lord. There was nothing more powerful than what I heard last week from an African-American older brother in the Lord whose families suffered at the ills of slavery in this country. And he said, Joe, we are slaves of Christ. That had power to it. You know, the American government freed the slaves, but many resubjected themselves to Christ's leadership. I want to follow Christ. I will willingly subject myself to Christ for the rest of my life. If you can use your freedom, use it to glorify God, the Apostle Paul was saying. Basically, one's status is not what matters, but their relationship to God. If you were in prison, if you're in prison today, do prison ministry. I know some brothers who made some mistakes. They, they, they went to the county jail for some time, and uh, whenever we do a Bible study, they preach. You know, they talk to the other prisoners, and uh, they're determined when they get out to continue preaching. If you are in a job that you don't like, many of us in this economy, you know, the employer has the advantage. Maybe God is using you to witness to a coworker. Um, if you're in a living arrangement you don't prefer, maybe there's ministry there. Now, the caveat to this is if you're in a sinful situation, certainly God would want you to move out of that sinful situation. That's important. If you're trying to have a kid and you can't and you've been patient for years, let the other people your age see your patience and your joy in the Lord and not just say, well, I want to have a baby. You know, It's about the Lord. God will change my status when the time has come. And I saw a couple... Um, that were waiting for years. What a great example of patience. They actually had the opportunity, and I'm not against this, to use fertility drugs, and they didn't. They said, the Lord has said, when his time is ready, we'll, we'll have a baby. And like three or four years went by, and she got pregnant. And God did it. It was awesome. Um, if you're single and you want to be married, but you can't find a mate, focus on the Lord. My sister was single for years and wanted to be married. And she finally said, uh, I'm just going to Mexico to be a missionary. That's where she found her husband. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, God's like, you could have done this sooner, you know. You're the one complaining. But where am I going with this? Wherever you are right now, don't miss the opportunity that God has provided for you. Any opportunity. Any opportunity. You might say, oh, this is a terrible situation. Pray. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do in this position right now? And then maybe when you're done, he'll move you on to bigger and better things. He says you were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of men. That's interesting. 
I don't think he was saying, don't go back to your slave masters and say, oh, you can put the chains back on. Don't become slaves of men. The Bible talks about being a man pleaser, a man fearer. The mentality is, well, God's up there. He'll forgive me. And he's not right here. These people are in front of me. I've got to survive. So what a lot of folks do is they try to please folks around them more than God, because he's more forgiving, first of all, and they've got to survive. That's almost like the time that the children of Israel, instead of trusting God for their military battles, they called up the Syrians. Hey, do you have some mercenaries you can send over here? Egypt, you got some mercenaries you can send over here? And God said, you're going to lose. I'm the one that you should be calling upon. Stop looking to men to solve your problems. So when we're truly freed in Christ, we don't have to worry what others think. We just try to serve the Lord. And this is where we're going to end up. Whatever state you come to Christ, provided it's not sinful, that's where you glorify God. I've heard some say, and even if they don't say it, it's an attitude, I'll be happy if I can only move. <laughs> some have done this. Leave Jersey. Hey, God bless you. If I could leave this place, I would. Leave Jersey, go to North Carolina. They go there, they're not happy. Some of them come back. Geography doesn't do anything for you. Two, if I can only find a certain type of job, I'll be happy. If I, if I can only find a mate, I'll be happy. And then a few years later, if I can only get rid of this mate, I'd be happy. You know? If I can only find another church. Listen, grow where you're planted. This is the Christian wanderlust. It's like the ADD generation in Christians. Christians are always here, there, and everywhere. They're not happy where they are. They're always looking to change their status. Listen, that's why Christians are shallow. Because there's no roots. They can just be pulled right up when adversity comes. Wherever you are, in whatever situation you are, take your roots, the taproot, and sink them down into the ground, into the foundation, and hold fast. That's where God wants you to be. Growing where God has planted you is a discipline, right? Now, I'm just going to leave it with this. Coming full circle on Paul's dissertation on relationships, marriage and divorce. And this is a little, hopefully a little sobering. I've been a road cop for 18 years in two different townships. I mean, not inside, on the road, dealing with people every day. I'm at work for 18 years. And I have to tell you, every day I come into work for the last 18 years, I either see a domestic violence incident or a restraining order that has to be served or kids who were ruined from their family's constant bickering about each other, or a custody problem, or a broken family. I've been in family court. I'm glad they don't make regular police do this. They make the sheriff's officer do it. I've been in family court where the judge says, you go your way, you go that way, and the kids, you go with that one. And the sheriff's officers actually are prying the kids away from one parent, and you can hear the shrieks of the kids down the hallway, you know? I've seen a lot of hard things, but I think if I had to do that, I might quit. It's pretty bad. I've talked to those on their third and fourth marriages, and there's no difference. You know what the problem is? I say you. I would say me too. You continue to bring you. You bring you to North Carolina. You bring you with the new mate. You bring you to the new job. You bring you. If your life is messed up and you keep moving from one state to another, gee, maybe the common denominator is me. We need to deal with our own sin and stop looking for ways and means and other things to make us happy because it doesn't work. Now, listen, this isn't the patricians versus the plebeians, you know? This is for me too. And I love going through the scripture because I'm learning a lot too. And I would just ask this one thing before we close in prayer. I know I said that three times already. 
that my prayer is that we understand what it means to be one, one with another person and one with the mind of Christ. Let's pray.